Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in today. My name is Norez Rana and I'm an economist with the World Bank. I'll be hosting today's program on New Wave in which we'll be talking about some of the issues and challenges that women tend to face and accessing public spaces, public affairs and also some of the issues that act as impediments towards economic inclusion uh, in in Pakistan specifically. And to discuss uh, today's topic with me I have Ms. Hiraza Hira is an international human rights lawyer. She's a gender specialist who was very recently working with the UN Women. She's worked on the design and implementation of uh, gender-focused policies and interventions. And now she is pivoting towards tech policy to ensure that women are not marginalized in accessing uh, uh, internet, uh, online uh, internet platforms and how can they be prevented from online harassments and other various uh, issues and challenges that women tend to face when circumventing through the the digital the cake world so thank you so much hira for joining us today it is my absolute pleasure to be here so nice to be talking to you about this very important topic and likewise likewise and i think that uh, it's a very prominent issue especially when we look at it from the lens of what is going on in pakistan and it generally does not tend to take the center stage that it should be and it's not as actively part of legislation or, or policy making though um, there's enough evidence which points to the fact that uh, you know gender based violence gender based discrimination is an endemic in the country and without addressing this first multiple various goals towards development and you know associated objectives are more likely to fail and suffer So on that note and before we delve deeper into it uh, you've been working very actively like I mentioned on gender based violence a lot of people do not really tend to understand what the term really entails you know what are the different types of gender based violences and uh, you know the issues that women tend to suffer so before we you know try to unpack the challenges the issues and the opportunities i would like you to shed some light on how does gbv that is more commonly it is known as manifests itself what are the various manifestations of gender based violence absolutely so i think at the root of gender based violence is an unequal power dynamic and um it's very important to define an issue before we delve into a deeper understanding of it so simply but and um in the most easiest of understanding so that everybody could understand what it really is gbv refers to any act that results in physical sexual psychological emotional harm or suffering um that is very specifically targeted towards another person usually women and girls and other identities of inter- uh, intersectional identities because they are of that gender identity these are rooted in gender norms and i said um as i said unequal power dynamics um the the the, the usual manifestations um of gbv especially in the context of pakistan would be domestic violence or alleged intimate partner violence um which is a highly prevalent form a highly normalized form of um of spousal abuse dowry related violence marital rape on occasions within the context of marriage um some rape and sexual assault in and of itself is a category of gender based violence which is quite prevalent in Pakistan 
honor killings, um, severe form of violence, um, mostly targeted towards women and girls, where um, allegedly shame and honor of the family is rooted in an a gender identity and um, it, it's a patriarchal norm that, that defines notions of family honor. Um, acid attacks is another fairly common form of revenge and punishment, primarily targeting women. Um, early forced and child marriages, public harassment, cyber harassment, um, trafficking and forced labor. So all of these are some of the, and we can, if you want, we can delve deeper into what any of the, um, all or most of these mean, but these are some of the most um, top of mind and like front and center forms in which women and girls experience um, gender-based violence in Pakistani society, not just there, it's across the world, it's a global phenomenon, it is a pandemic, not an epidemic. It's not endemic anymore. It's a it's a pandemic, it's monstrous proportions. But those are some of the ways in which it manifests. Uh, well, it's I, I think these are very serious and heinous crimes just against humanity itself that you've described. And but you know when we look at the numbers, sadly uh, there are a lot of numbers. So according to the National Commission of Human Rights in Pakistan, sixty three thousand cases of domestic violence were reported. But I mean it goes without saying that these are crudely underreported because of the fact that these are numbers which were officially that were filed against. But well, it's it's well known that majority, we can even say up to 90% of the cases of domestic violence or domestic abuse are not even reported officially and they never entered the enter the administrative system that you know that factors in and that paints the clear picture. But there are other implicit ways of how we can determine how serious the issue is. And uh, I want to bring in the economic aspect because when we look at the female labor force participation in Pakistan, it's 22%. But if you look at the urban female labor force participation, it is 10% and it has been hovering around that number since the last 20 years. And mind you that this is one of the lowest in the world. And when we look or we try to uncover the reasons as to why female labor force participation is so low, domestic abuse, domestic violence comes at the forefront because you're unable as a society we are unable to create a safe and secure environment through which women can, you know, just 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 navigate through public and private spaces, and which makes it very difficult for them to attend to employment, take up, you know, entrepreneurial work, and only one in fourteen women work in Pakistan. These are the figures. What are, you know, what on the policy side? What do you think can be done? Is being done? in Pakistan? And what are some of the best case examples that you worked on globally that have helped address this issue? So it's it's understanding this issue is a little complicated because it's like an onion. The more you peel on the glares, the more the issue presents itself. So I guess a few points to that. One of the biggest, and this is at a global level, but obviously more pronounced when we, when we talk of the situation in Pakistan, is that data collection um, on GBV issues is, it, first, there's a huge gap. Globally, we've realized it. We're funding money into and resources into bridging that gap and, and, and trying to collect prevalence data, administrative data as much as possible to be able to drive 
evidence-based and data-driven uh, policy reforms and policy proposals when it comes to prevention and elimination of gender-based violence. In Pakistan, a lot of the good work that's being done is at a civil society organization levels or um, mostly development sector work. It's funny because you were saying that in, it's uh, the issue never takes center stage. Uh, it's never in the news. Uh, the, legislatively, we don't know what's been happening. And in, and in my cursory research, I think the last legislative reform that came was probably 2016, where they amended the criminal uh, bill through an amendment to include some form of gender-based violence into the realm. But there's huge deficiencies in, in um, tackling the issue or just understanding the gravity of it to then be able to resolve it through policy or legislative reform. Um, when we talk about what it is that works and what, what I think before we go into what works, we first have to recognize the drivers of um, gender-based violence and how it links to economic and um, economic inclusion and um, social inclusion as well. All of these are, it's like a vicious circle and they're tied together. Um, there's also this huge divide between urban and rural populations where statistically we say one in three women experiences gender-based violence in their lifetime, but that is a huge under reported figure. It's a global figure. In Pakistan, I think UNFPA came up with some, um, and this was in their urban population with a limited data set that 32% of the population that, of women that they interviewed for um, health within the health sector had experienced some form of domestic violence. And again, under reporting that the, the, the numbers are had as high as 90%. So in terms of under, so when gender-based violence is in the experience of women and girls within society, we are at, we are driving poverty, we are driving limited social participation, we are driving limited social participation, this social stigma. Um, all of this is caused by violence, is a driver of violence, and it keeps women and girls out of the, the workforce. Prevention is always better than elimination. We keep, we, we can't continuously try, I mean, we have to understand the entry points of where change needs to happen. One of um, the key aspects of change is social norms change. Working with male allies, working with tribal leaders, religious leaders to change social narratives and change social norms that are rooted in patriarchy that then manifest in domestic violence or other forms of gender-based violence. So there has to be policy at a level where not just government, but also civil society, the public sector, the private sector, individuals are being educated through schooling, are being educated through what we see on the media, through through any channel through which social reform can be implemented. So driving policy towards preventative measures, educating about gender equal norms. Um, there's also this divide that we experience in Pakistan between traditional schooling that's religious and then the conventional or um, or or the the I guess the other the, the, yeah. 
the more liberal more mainstream more, liberal. let's yeah. not call i mean i don't know how liberal that yeah. liberal is but there's two separate um areas where children are being taught how to be become individuals that um participate in society and both of those need to be um addressed through education and recognizing that the, the, when we talk about gender equality, we're not talking about something that's un-Islamic, something that's against religious principles, against culture of the country or society that we, but it's very, like it's rooted in it that respect of every human being, irrespective of gender, is um, is, is something that is taught to us by our religion and our culture. So that's a policy that's very important, reforming our school curricula. Um, apart from that, another aspect of this is uh, public participation. A lot of time, times women are not safe to access um, public spaces, be it parks, be it streets, be it public transport, getting to and fro from work, and then the workplace itself. Um, ensuring that those spaces are safe for women to access, encouraging more women to participate in that um, is a policy, um, is, is an area of policy making that can be very helpful in driving more women into the workforce. Um, a lot of these policies see the see the backlash on cultural relativism as or oh, are this any policy that you try to focus towards this say, oh this is they're trying to ruin the culture and cultural cultural relativism is perhaps the biggest um setback that's used or an argument used to counter any efforts of gender of trying to achieve gender equality so understanding that it's culture was not formed in a day patriarchal yeah. norms misogyny was not part of the culture it yeah. became so because of power dynamics at play and if we start changing them now maybe within 20 to 30 although we are not going to achieve i guess gender equality in our time in our lifetime as the statistics show but recognizing that that those norms were not developed in a vacuum there's a reason that they came into being and can be um reformed and should be must be reformed is important I yeah, think, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, culture is a very fluid concept, right? And obviously it takes time to build a culture and then obviously not dismantling it, but evolving or the progression of how it is, how we view it uh, in present time. Uh, I mean, there are instances in the past uh, of cultures evolving and there's, there's, there's a positive hope that it can be done in Pakistan as well. I mean, given that these policies are rightly implemented, but uh, I, I, I wanted to come in a bit earlier because when you were when you mentioned about legislations, uh, you rightly stated that there was one that was that was uh, stated in 2016. There was another domestic violence bill that was initiated in 2004, that was then amended in 2020, if I remember correctly. But it still hasn't been enacted. Uh, so there's always this gap about, between the, the what's the de jure rules and the de facto what's actually implemented. And if, if we, we've we've seen uh, there hasn't been any. There have been certain micro level efforts uh, in certain parts of Pakistan, but I mean more homogeneously, there hasn't been uh, a you know a more top down approach. Even if we look at uh, uh, parent, uh, parental leave bills, they were implemented in the the federal capital, but not elsewhere. Things like that. So there's this there's this disharmony about what has been enacted. And the other thing is that you rightly pointed that education is one 
tool or one instrument through which we can tend to nudge the way people think and behave. And obviously it boils down to social structures and cultural norms. But in your experience, have you seen any of that working in Pakistan at the moment, you know, working with religious leaders, like you mentioned, uh, has that borne any fruit? Because again, I don't want to paint a gloomy picture, but when we see every March, the, the kind of uh, criticism, and actually criticism is a very, uh, I would sanitize word, uh, but the criticism that the Aurat March tends to face, uh, I mean, Personally, for me, it's 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 very disappointing. It's 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 hurtful to say the least, you know. And you would expect that year on year things would get better, but on the contrary, you know, it doesn't seem so. And now, you know, the flows to you. What do you think? What what in your experience have you seen? Are there small windows of hope of opportunity that you witness or? So to say that the, you don't want to paint a gloomy picture is an understatement of how gloomy the picture actually is. When you're working on this issue, you realize you recognize the monstrosity of um, the problem and what it will take to change, like to chip away on some of the manifestations or prevalence of, of, of gender-based violence. And then you take into account what is being done, which is next to nothing, um, at a more, the, the, as you mentioned, there is a need for a concerted effort at every level, public level, private sector level, public sector, private sector, individual, social, there's every entry point needs to be checked out and a concerted effort needs to be put into reforming what needs to be reformed for there to be a decline in the incidence of gender-based violence. That is not happening. Uh, there is great work being done by at, at a micro level, which is hopefully going to create a ripple effect and lives of <clears throat> some women and girls would be impacted, but it's not enough to have a paradigm shift in the way the society is framed. Specifically speaking of Aurat March, I think it's a great example of the pushback that we um, are facing when in, in the realm of, uh, may I dare I use the word, feminist uh, advocacy. Um, so I think, first of all, it's important to realize that this is not just a Pakistan-specific problem. It's a global issue where we have seen, where we made some gains from Beijing to Beijing Plus 25. There was a global drive towards eliminating violence, towards ensuring that um, there was gender equality. And now there has been severe pushback from the, the divisive elements that we see in society today. It's sad that it is more pronounced in Pakistan. Aurat March is a great initiative. I think it started in 2018 on the International Women's Day, if I'm not wrong, and has been gaining momentum since, but the pushback is, is more severe. I think a lot get lost, gets lost in, in, in a misunderstanding of concepts too, right? Everybody wants to debate it. Sometimes around that time when you turn on your news channels, which have now become machines of machinery of propaganda, yeah. there's there's very few feminists and people from within the field that work on human rights law, women's rights laws, or, or advocates and activists that get airtime to speak about the issue, to educate public on what it truly is. What is the Aurat March Manifesto? 
addressing gender inequality, dismantling of patriarchy and challenging patriarchal norms that are not only harmful towards women and girls, but they're harmful towards men themselves. Like it, these are just harmful, irrespective of gender, patriarchy hurts everybody. So dismantling those, being intersectionally inclusive, um, demanding, I think, equal equality in the law and legal reform. So these are just the ones that I recall off the top of my head. But at no point is this a so, man. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, sorry. At this point, just for you know, for some of our viewers and our audience, you know, it might be helpful for them for, for them to understand the jargon, which uh, I mean, you and I, we do understand. We work in this sphere, but you know, what do you mean when you say dismantling patriarchy? What do you say when you know when you're talking about uh, intersectionalism? You know, all these terminologies. You know, if if you could just f further elaborate it, yeah, for for people who are listening in, it Absolutely. might be more interesting. Yeah. Um, patriarchy, and I, I think I forget the name of this very um, noble female leader of Pakistan. She translated it beautifully in Urdu for those who understand. Pidr Shahi Nizam. So it is a mentality where their women's autonomy is discounted and controlled, and it, there's this element of controlling women and girls because they do not have the autonomy or the agency to or are not allowed to exercise their agency because the idea is that the men in their lives or the men in society or the male counterparts have a better understanding of how it should be or they should be given preferential treatment over women and girls. So that's the most layperson way of understanding patriarchy. And everything, all of the social norms that we see are generated through it. it there's undertones of misogyny in it. Misogyny is essentially hating the idea of women and, um, and, and ex exercising power over them. At the crux of it all, at the core of it all, I should say, is the idea that women need to be controlled, be it through, um, I, I'm trying to think of like an easy example in the household, how permissions work, how decisions about female education works. Um, if it's a son, he gets to go to high school. If it's a daughter, she needs to get married because that's, or even if she becomes a doctor, it is not so that she would be in the workforce serving the population um, for as a, as, as a physician, but rather because she would then be an eligible um, bride for 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 marriage like that's that's the criteria for the, and which is why we have a dearth in the doctor population in the country as well which i yeah. would claim is, is is a form of violence against women because you're you train so hard anyway besides the point yeah. but these are just yeah. some core examples of how it how patriarchy manifests um and when we talk about intersectionality, intersectionality means that there's a distinction. Yes, there's the gender distinction, but even within the gender distinction, not everyone is equal. Um, women that belong to a rural area in Pakistan are not are, do not experience life the same way as women 
from an urban population um, would experience life. So that is one intersectional difference that although both of them may have experienced violence, their experience of violence will be different or their identity is different because of that divide. Put onto it the many layers of socioeconomic um, strata that you belong to, your education level, um, the, the religious caste of sect that you um, uh, associate with or your family belongs to, and then the provincial divide, whether you're from Punjab or Khyber uh, Pakhtunpa, Balochistan, Sindh, Kashmir, any of the areas that come under um, the within the realm of Pakistan, each area has its own um, cultural and social um, ways of being, and that impacts the identity. So all of those identities need to be considered when we are trying to bring gender equality into the country, or, or at least start with prevention of gender-based violence within the country. Um, so, 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 so to simply put, uh, an individual who belongs to a marginalized group, belongs to a minority sect and happens to be a female, it's kind of at the base of the pyramid in terms of the opportunities that she can access. And similarly is, at, unfortunately and sadly, she's at the receiving end of, is likely, you know, violence, the, the likelihood of, you know, greater violence. She's the one who's more, most exposed. She is most exposed, absolutely. Yeah. And the way she would experience an incidence of violence perpetrated against her will be different than a person who has some form of privilege because her access to services, her access to legal um, re uh, uh, recourse, her access to mental well-being or the ability to remove herself from that situation or her children from that situation is going to be determined by all of those identities. So when we talk about ending violence against women and girls, we don't we we go a step further and we talk about ending violence against women and girls in all our diversity. So irrespective of where you come from, where you belong, how you identify, um, the policies need to be tailored to where you're, ex how uh, you're experiencing violence. I, I think you need to be wary of the nuances and the unique differences between women who belong to, again, you know, various various parts of Pakistan, various socioeconomic classes, sects, minorities, et cetera, et cetera, for, for policies to be effective, given that they are customized and tailor-made to address their unique challenges and their issues. Absolutely. And which is why it's so important for this to be front and center. And the like it has it's pivotal that the government put all of its resources and mechanisms into place to ensuring because the yes, there are grassroots organizations, there's civil society, but the government can't get a, do away with its responsibility to ensuring the safety of its citizens and women and girls are equal citizens of the country. And they are the ones that have the maximum reach. So it a policy is as good as its implementation, and like we discussed already, even if even even if there's attempts of policy formulation, the implementation of it is severely lacking, which then results in not being able to monitor or evaluate whether the policy is working or not, whether they needs to be reformed. So I think it's upon all of the actors um, within within all of the sectors to make sure that policies are being implemented after they're being designed because designing is easy right you get the numbers you understand the issue you develop a policy but then implementing it taking it to scale 
studying it over the years and sometimes with GBV you have to study it over generations or over like a few lifetimes within the family to see if it truly worked um and sadly all of that is um is is something that needs to be focused upon and I don't think it's any on anybody's priority or agenda I I haven't read any of the political manifestos in a while, but given the political circumstances, I don't know if women's rights or women's issues or the very, very pressing issue of ensuring that women and girls are safe from violence, again, from violence, especially in their own homes, is a priority for, for anybody at this stage. Yeah, and ironically, what you tend to see is that um, a lot of the people, a lot of the policymakers who are at the helm of affairs making these gender specific policies in Pakistan from a government perspective tend to be male who are detached from the experiences, from the challenges that women tend to suffer, uh, you know, at, at various levels, whether that is at the household level, whether that's at the political level, or whether that's, that's at, uh, you know, at the private sector or the employment level. And uh, many of what we also tend to see very frequently is that a lot of these key players tend to perpetuate this, uh, this norm of patriarchy knowingly what patriarchy does and I, you know i wanted i deliberately wanted you to unpack the term to highlight the fact that it's not just that people do not understand patriarchy um people who have the power at all levels whether that's your household level whether that's your uh, district level whether that's your city or your provincial or federal or country level they tend to deliberately perpetuate that patriarchy but in doing so they are putting a, a limit on the potential to what women can achieve a it's it's criminal and it's inhumane because you're taking the rights of of another human being uh which you know which obviously is it, it's is grossly criminal but secondly i think you you're doing an injustice to the community to the society and even to the country because there's there's so much research and i'm looking at it more academically now there's so much research which tends to highlight that women can have the potential to be, be to take better decisions at at the leadership level you know even even with even if they're running a country you know there, there are other aspects such as you know in addition to the intellectual quotient there's emotional quotient which women tend to have more of and but more broadly speaking pakistan which is at, right now is in the midst of an economic turmoil we are going back to the imf again we're a debt-ridden country for a country like pakistan there's evidence now which clearly states that the that thirty percent of the country's GDP could you could enhance you could increase thirty percent of the country's GDP if you eliminate the barriers that women tend to face in accessing employment. You know, if you remove the gender gaps, if uh, the gaps in wages, the gaps in employment, and entrepreneurial abilities. Uh, so this is a disingenuous. Uh, this is a, a disloyalty. To, to to the to the country itself and not to venture the society but anyhow i think that we've we've really established uh, you know what the what the issue is what the picture is do you see any any opportunities is there some uh positive feedback that we can take away from the work that is being done and where do you think the opportunities lie uh who can usher that change who are those players uh is who are those activists or who are those key makers um i am i happen to be a cynical optimist but an optimist nonetheless so if you ask me if there's hope absolutely there are i think 
And I guess I'll go back to Arith March because it is a pivotal point in our social consciousness as a society um, that we are now seeing, or I mean, it's been, I, should, I don't want to discount the efforts of the women whose shoulders on which we stand today do, um, do use a platform and raise our voices. But I think that's a, that's a start where women have started to engage in, 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 a, in social activism. Um, and I think women have the voice and the agency and more and more they're able to now exercise it. Um, coming briefly to tech, I think the um, wave of social media platforms within the country, be it, and I, I'm not gonna, I mean, I don't know if I can name them or not, but like Instagram, TikTok, um, these are the primary avenues to which a lot of women are are able to not only communicate their and and the fun, the interesting part of this is that there the divide between the rural and urban an urban population and the socioeconomic divide is is decreased in the presence of women, more women and girls on these social media platforms so i think using technology and really harnessing that to allow that it's allowing women to participate in social and entrepreneurial um, um, exercises and activities within the comfort of their home. And to coming back to the like workforce participation, if more than half of your population at different age, like if you disaggregate it by age, is outside of the workforce, how is a country going to ever, and especially the kind of crisis we're seeing, how will we ever get back on our feet? Like it just, to me, I'm not an economist, but seems like- It's a logical it, deduction. It, it's a logical deduction to think that if there's more people in the workforce, there will be more economic activity and it, the country will, lead to some progress. What are some of the things that can be done? I think from a perspective of and getting more women to come into the workforce, education is important, ensuring um, that there, there's a decline in child early enforced marriages, regulating marriages to ensure that the age limit is being adhered to, and putting those girls in school. It, providing them with the opportunity to be in a formal education that would then lead to a mark like getting into the job market ensuring where there is job opportunity there is safety and protection um workplace harassment and i think the bill came out in 2010 i'm sorry i'm like super off on years but we did make an effort there to ensure that women felt safe while they're coming to the workforce and the, this, those public spaces, workspaces need to be a safe space for women and girls, ensuring and, there's transport. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said in mobility and public transportation. Too, public yeah. transportation, all of that, getting to back and uh, to and from work, ensuring that we, when we are, and and I think television is a widely viewed. Um, a medium of information and entertainment in the country. We can all agree on that. Ensuring that the content that's being generated is telling the kinds of stories that would encourage families, in-laws, because most of our society is based around um, joint family systems, that there is a shared burden of care within the house. Because 
taking care of a house is un, like in economic terms, it's unpaid labor essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and our women have been doing it for generations on end. So it's starting to bring that vocabulary into the social um, fabric through television, through media, through the channels that we communicate to the larger public from and with, uh, I think is extremely important. Dramas are world public, like renowned. Yeah. And sadly, the content continues to perpetuate the same messaging of oppression, of power and control, of sadly domestic abuse. Um, and that needs to be um, changed. So, and there are some promising aspects of like where people are talking about it, some content is being created to the effect, but these I think are the lowest hanging fruits. Like sure, we can talk about having infrastructure, sure we can talk about government responsibility. Uh, private sector I think does well in sense of like um, hiring um, more women, but these, and, and those are like larger structural issues, but. I think prevention and social reform through these channels is the lowest hanging fruit that can yeah. literally change. And the turnover is super fast. Yeah. That content can be created fast, can delivered to the audiences fast, and can have a huge impact in, in, in changing mindsets. Um, one point that I yeah. was, I just, I'm sorry, totally slipped my mind. What we were talking but, but, about. But, but all of all of these that you mentioned, I mean, they may be low hanging fruits, but I think there's we should not discount how super impactful they are, they are. Absolutely. And, you know, just by ensuring that women have uh, safe passages of transportation that they can go and commute back and to from work. You know, the content that is produced does not tend to. And and thank you for pointing that out. I mean, the concept of a super hyper inflated alpha male is so romanticized in Pakistani dramas and mediums that I mean, it's it's cringy to say the least. And you know, come, come, kind of perpetuating content, which tends to usher the way, uh, not usher, sorry, nudge the way people think and interact socially. I think that can have huge benefits. And like you said, the turnaround time is is not is not years in the future. It could Generally. be, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the fruits can be reaped fairly quickly. Yeah. And just one point, it came back to mind when you said, and it's funny you said that it's when we when we look at the public sector or it's mostly men i think one thing that we don't talk enough about and should be highlighted is representation going back to your point of like female leadership makes better decision um all of that is so true also if Again, half of your population, that's that's just that's that's a prime example of patriarchy. Half of your population or more than half of your population is are women and girls, yet the decision makers are mostly men. Uh, and and how can they fully understand and experience the experience of life of women and girls when they're legislating, developing policy, traveling? world over to set foreign policy. So I think a shift towards a feminist um, form of governance is, is extremely important. And the sad part, I mean, feminism has also, as, as a word in Pakistan, has been demonized to a point where I've heard the most interesting things about it, like, oh, we're not feminist. We believe in equality, but we're not feminists. We're not, we're not that type. If you believe in equality, that's the mm -hmm. basic premise of feminism yeah. and the idea that, oh, this is some anti-Islamic male-hating agenda, I think also needs to be um, sort of like 
chipped away on an understanding that this is just an ideology that ensures all human beings have equal yeah. presence in society, governance, and all every walk of life. Yeah, and dare I say that people do not really tend to understand religion as well in in the country. Absolutely. I mean, they they claim to, but they do not really have that deep understanding. Because if they would have, they would have realized that the tenets of feminism very much align with what Islam tends to teach. Absolutely. You know, making sure that there's no discrimination between how you raise a boy or a girl. And but despite that, we see that millions of girls of school going age girls are out of schools in the country. Uh, you know, they do not get the same of the same level of opportunities that the male members tend to get. Okay. And then there's this systematic discrimination because then the same thing kind of feeds into the future as they grow up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. This, that's where if, if discrimination starts at age 10, it's so, I mean, so, femicide is enough, like the, the choosing a male child over a girl child, I guess if it starts there, how are we ever going to get to a point of yeah. eliminating it? So early intervention, social prevention, I think is 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 a, a, a key solution to all of these um, issues. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much, Hira. It was uh, great to hear your insight, learn from your experience, and thank you for sharing all that with, uh, with the audience. Um, and again, thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much. It's been lovely chatting with you, although we could have like, this is such a Pandora's box that the more you talk about it, the less you've said, but I hope it's helpful in understanding some of these key issues. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, yeah. Noris, it was lovely chatting with you. Absolutely. Thank you.